Some of you may have noticed the Bacas are back. <laughs> we have some families that love to tour the world. The Hausermans, <laughs> well, Mike's back. <laughs> and the Oddies are back, but they're not here. So... What can I say? We're in Judges chapter 3 this morning. Uh, actually, we're going to cover one verse. I don't per se give specialized sermons, so don't expect a Father's Day sermon. But fathers, take it to heart. <laughs> but last week we looked at Eglon. He was a despicable character. He was very fat. He was an evil man, and we also looked at his assassin, Ehud, a left-handed man of God. These men, uh, colorful, uh, Eglon was devoted to feeding his fleshly nature and his appetite until he became grossly overweight. Ehud became a warrior for God. Eglon was so heavy, so fat, that his belly, belly completely covers and swallows the 18-inch dagger that uh, Ehud thrust into him. That's heavy. Ehud, he doesn't even pull out the sword. He leaves it there in Eglon's belly and he escapes. But the symbolism here is the double-edged sword going into a man and what came out of Eglon was disgusting. It was filth. It was his entrails. Old King James says it was dirt. So we have dirt coming out once the sword of God goes in. Good in, good out, bad in, bad out, whatever. But as we go through the book of Judges, we can see God using the unusual. Different men, different women to liberate Israel. And this morning we're going to look at the heroic efforts of Shamgar. And all we know of Shamgar is in one verse. So let me read you that one verse, Judges 3.31. And after him, speaking of Ehud, was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. And that's all we know of Shamgar. But his name means dragged away one. Shamgar most likely was a farmer. He's plowing probably with a team of oxen. Thus we have the ox goad that is mentioned there. Now an ox goad was quite the implement. It's about eight feet long, sharp pointed on one end, but on the butt end, they would put a metal sleeve on it, and you would clean off your plow when it was muddy or whatever. And this was the ox goad. 
different from the goad that uh, is spoken of when uh, Jesus encounters Paul or Saul on the road to Damascus. And he says, is it not hard for you to kick against the goad? Now, that goad was behind a team of oxen or whatever, and they would kick back, hit the pointed stick, and not kick anymore. So it's different. An ox goad is a long eight-foot staff. So how did Shamgar kill 600 men with one ox goad? Perhaps you've never watched a Bruce Lee movie. Mm-hmm. They line up one at a time and come at you. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> but truly, it's hard for us to understand how one man could kill 600. But what if Shamgar only killed six? It still would be a great feat, you know? Wow. Multiply that by 10. Shamgar kills 60. Now he's getting up there in Heroville, (laughs) killing maybe 60. Multiply it by 100. And we begin to see that there was divine intervention with Shamgar that he would kill 600 men. Later on uh, in Judges, we'll read about Gideon. And Gideon attacks uh, their enemies, the Philistines again, and, and he does it in such a way he frightens the Philistines so bad that they turn on one another and begin to kill one another. Perhaps this what happened with Shamgar, we don't know. But uh, all we know is what we read. Shamgar kills 600 Philistines. One verse... One hero, and the obvious there is God fights for Israel. This one verse story, it's an inspiration for all of us. One person with God is the majority. You don't need anything. If you have God... You're in the majority. And the weapon of Shamgar was simply what he had in his hand, an ox goat. You remember when God called Moses to go down to Egypt and confront Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. What did Moses have in his hand? A shepherd's staff. And Moses is told, throw it down, Moses. And when he does the shepherd's staff turns into a poisonous viper. Pick it up, Moses. Not grab it behind the head where it can't bite you, but pick it up by the tail. And when he does, it becomes his staff again. So what is in your hand? What is in my hand? What skills? What implements? What abilities do we have? Allow God to use them. That's the message of the sermon. Steve Crucy, who's down in Florida. Everybody goes on vacation in the summer around here. He has a garage, a three-car garage, and he has every special tool known to mankind in that garage. 
And Steve, <laughs> engineer by trade, he can fix anything. You can't come up with a subject in engineering that Steve doesn't know something about. We also have a NASA scientist slash engineer whom his grown son says of him, Dad can fix anything. <laughs> All right, that's pretty good. But that engineer, he would rather be a lumberjack. He loves to cut trees. <laughs> he loves to cut trees down. So if ever I need a tree be, to, to be cut up, I call Neil. And he's not here today. He's back from Europe, but he's not here. But anyway, and after our tornado hit in 2011, this lumberjack, Neil, and his sons cleared a lot of our land of all the downed trees. So it's a blessing. They used what they loved and what was in their hand. Now, maybe you have heard, perhaps, that I have several cows out on my little farm. A cow is a very large animal, by the way, and a full-grown cow will weigh probably 12 to 1,500 pounds. That's a lot of weight on the hoof. And I do not go among my cows when I'm feeding them especially without a stick in my hand, about three-foot stick, about an inch in diameter, and I can control those cows just with that one little stick by hitting them across the nose with the stick. They don't like that. And you get their attention. And you can control this large beast with just a little stick. Shamgar, Israel's hero, used what was in his hand. I'm always encouraged by what and who God uses to glorify himself. David, King David, he is out tending sheep when he's a young lad. Samuel the prophet comes to his father's house and he's come and he's there to anoint the next king of Israel. So turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Israel's first king, Saul, has been rejected by God. Samuel, the prophet, is given the task. He says, you go tell Saul that the anointing is over. He is to be removed from being my king. And that comes in 1 Samuel 15, verse 28 and 29. Two verses, I'll read them. So Samuel said to him, Saul, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel, speaking of God, will not lie or relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. God's ways are perfect. He doesn't have to apologize or turn from his ways. His ways are perfect. King Saul, God is not a man. You have disobeyed God. You have sinned against God one time too many. And now the Lord has torn the kingdom from you. And no matter how much you repent, Saul, God's decision remains you, Saul, 
are out as being king of Israel. So now let's read the story of Samuel visiting Jesse, David's father. And that's in chapter 16, and we'll look at verses 1 through 13. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord says, Take a heifer, that's a female cow, with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and he went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadad and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shemmah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains one, yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he has come here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes, good-looking, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. God choosing his own king. Samuel, in the first verse, he mourns for Saul. Samuel liked Saul. He didn't like Saul's behavior, but he liked Saul. Samuel is given the task of giving Saul the word, God has rejected you. But it breaks Samuel's heart. He mourns for Samuel, uh, for Saul. And it troubles him that he has to give him word that God has rejected him. But Saul, as you know the story of him and David, Saul does not go peaceably, but God's blessing is over for Saul. It's done. He's out. God instructs Samuel, fill your ram's horn with oil 
and go to Jesse the Bethlehemite's house, for the for one of his sons will be my anointed king. Samuel is afraid of Saul. It talks about that, but yet he obeys God. He doesn't let fear stop him from being obedient. And there's a sermon in that alone. And Samuel arrives there at Bethlehem. His arrival frightens the elders of the city. They want to know, Samuel, have you come in peace? And he says, yes, I come in peace. And he says, you elders, sanctify yourself for the sacrifice that we're about to have. Jesse and his sons are also invited to this sacrifice, to this religious ceremony. And all Samuel knows is that one of Jesse's sons will be anointed as Israel's next king. He doesn't know which son. Samuel thinks it's Eliab. But Eliab, he's handsome. He's striking in appearance. Probably similar to Saul. But God has a word for Samuel. Samuel, you and other men look at the outward. You look at the appearance. You look at, and immediately judge a man by what he appears, how he looks. But he says, I, God, look at the heart. Aren't you glad that God sees the inner being, what we really are? God sees not only those that are pure of heart, but God knows the future of each and every one of us. God has rejected the seven sons that Jesse has presented. They're there. They're at the sacrifice. And God has told Samuel, it's none of these. None of these seven, Samuel. So Samuel said, hey, Jesse, is this all of your sons? Well, there's one. He's the youngest. He's the least significant. And we have him out in the wilderness, out in the pastures, and all he does is watch over the sheep. Usually, if you were wealthy, you didn't watch over your own sheep. That was a job for a hired servant. And David is almost like his dad's servant versus the son. David is a shepherd whom his father and his brothers have no respect for. They don't even invite him to the sacrifice. He's out watching the sheep. But they sin for David. And God declares to Samuel, this is the one. And Samuel anoints David in front of his brothers and in front of Jesse, his fathers, and the elders of Bethlehem are also there to see this anointing. But don't miss this. This is critical. And the spirit of the Lord was, came upon David from that day forward. God's anointing. And David is chosen by God to be Israel's next king. But notice what David has in his hand. What did David have in his hand? A sling 
He's a shepherd. David, no doubt, when watching the sheep, he would practice throwing rocks with the only weapon that he had, a sling. He got proficient with that sling. Within a few years, David becomes very proficient with that sling. And the anointing of David was glorious. But where does he go? He goes back to watching the sheep. They said, okay, David, you'll be king someday. Go back and watch the sheep. <laughs> He's not recognized by his family as anointed of God. And we seldom are recognized by family. Our families can be the last ones to see what God is doing in our lives. They know us too well, <laughs> I guess. Within a few years, David, though, he will come to the battlefront there where the Israelites and the Philistines are on two different sides of a valley. And Goliath, he has made his blasphemous remarks uh, to challenge Israel. Send me a man that we may fight and so forth and so on. David shows up. He's there because uh, his dad has sent him. And David's brothers chide him. They harass him when he volunteers to go fight Goliath. And they tell him, go back to the sheep, David. You know, you're just a little shepherd boy. But enter the sovereignty of God. God sees David's heart. Not his outward appearance. Not what his brothers and the others are looking upon. And we all know the story. David kills Goliath with the sling. But the story doesn't end there. David goes on to be the greatest king Israel's ever had. Jesus came from the lineage of David. David is highly exalted, and all David had was a shepherd's sling. That was his weapon. But you might say he could throw a mean rock. <laughs> so here it is. What do we draw from this? What is in your hand? What is in my hand? What has God given you? What are your strength? What are your abilities? What are your talents? Allow God to use what you have and let him bring glory to himself. Now take a good look at who stands up here. Me, yours truly. <laughs> you call me pastor. Silly folks. <laughs> but I'm a tree farmer from California. Double whammy. <laughs> I'm proof of First Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. Let me read my qualifications to you. First Corinthians 1, 26. For you see your calling, 
brethren, not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But to him you are called in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. I have in the past said with tongue in cheek, kind of arrogantly, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I can say that to you honestly. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. We clearly see God has chosen the foolish things. People like me to be a pastor. I never desired to be a pastor. I can honestly tell you that. <laughs> and I'd readily admit my chief desire is to bring God glory in my life. So don't say to me, any of you, don't say to me, I have no ability. I fully realize my abilities. I have nothing to offer. The most any man, any person can offer God is a willing heart. That's all you can offer. To truly give yourself and what you have, whether it be an ox goad, a sling, perhaps you can play a musical instrument, maybe you... Uh, can give a good Bible study, teach children, whatever. Or maybe you lack being wise, like me. And there's no might in you. Nobility, Heinz 57. And we see God and what he can do and what he can bring forth, and we're amazed. There are no limitations on any of us when God's Spirit rests upon us. And all you got to do is ask Shamgar, who killed 600 men with an ox goad, or maybe you can ask the shepherd boy, David, what has God got for you? Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Before I pray, though, don't forget tonight we're having our baptism. Uh, if you want to follow the Lord in obedience to baptism, I urge you to do that. Uh, 
and we have a couple who are going to be baptized, and that's good. So we will do that, and we'll also have a potluck. We'll do the potluck first and then the baptism. So that's the order of our service. Come on out. We'll have a good evening tonight. Father God, thank you for choosing people like me, people like these that stand before you. I ask, Lord, that you would bring forth glory to yourself by using us, your people. We're not mighty, Lord. We're not wise. We're not nobility. We're just men, women, and children that have seen the goodness of our Lord and want to follow close after you. Use us, Lord. Use us to confound the wise. Use us to, to glorify your kingdom. Lord, may people see in us you. For you are what makes any man great in any way. Bring glory to yourself through us, your people. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.